Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. I'm really glad you joined me uh, because today we're going to talk about something a little special. Um, we're going to do a one-off message, talk about something that's going on in our community and in our lives. And so before I get there, let me tell you about a time when I was 31, about 15 years ago. I went skiing. It was only the second time in my life that I'd ever gone skiing, and I broke my arm. I was going down this pretty easy hill when I started to lose my balance after I hit a bump, or what we call in ski lingo, a mogul. After I hit this mogul, I wobbled around for a second before I lost my balance and I fell forward, and I put my arms out in front of me to stop my fall. Now, as I fell, it was like everything went into slow motion. I remember a jolt shooting up my right arm when I hit the ground. I remember spinning around in circles as I slid the remaining hundreds of feet down the rest of the hill. And and while I was spinning, I remember calmly thinking to myself, I think I just broke my arm. When I think about that, when I remember it, it's, it's almost like I'm still there, experiencing every detail. In fact, the memory of breaking my arm is so vivid that I haven't gone skiing since that happened, and I probably never will again. Because of my bad experience, I don't think that I could ever put myself in that situation again. Because for me now, the fun of skiing, it isn't worth the risk of being hurt like that again. And you may know what that's like, to be hurt so badly that you avoid where it happened or doing the things that caused it. And maybe for you, it's avoiding the hallway where your bully's locker is, or the section of your office where your mean boss's desk is. Maybe you avoid the coffee shop where your ex always hangs out or the grocery store that's in the part of town where a former friend lives. These are the places that we've been hurt and they're the places we avoid to keep from being hurt again. And maybe for you, it's a church. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's every church. I bring this up today because church hurt is something that too many people are familiar with. It's something that's happening right now in a very real way at a large local congregation in our community. But it isn't something that just affects our community. The stories of people who've been hurt by church or church leaders, these stories have been bubbling to the surface for years, almost to the point where it seems like an unstoppable flood of stories of church hurt. But because it's surfaced so visibly in our community, today I wanted to wrestle with this question. What do we do when the church hurts people? Now, before we get too far into this, I'll tell you now that I don't have all of the answers. I'm not an expert on spiritual or sexual abuse. I'm not trained in trauma-informed counseling. But I do have a story of my own about when the church hurts. And so... Today, I just wanted to do this. I want to invite you into a small part of my story and then share with you some reflections that I've learned with you in the hopes that we can find ways to both heal from our church hurts and then also learn to prevent them in the first place. So just right out of the gate, this is going to be way less a sermon than it is a confessional, but I hope that you can get something out of it. So I grew up in church. And I loved it. I mean, I was there every time the doors to the church were open. My mom was a choir director. My dad served on the board. 
my family was there, my friends were there. And, and the church was where I got to fully use the gifts that I felt God gave me. Now, that being said, um, I experienced my fair share of traumatic church events long before I ever went into ministry and worked at a church. When I was a kid, we had a lead pastor who left his wife and kids to run off with the woman who he'd been having an affair with in the church. And he informed the church and his family that he was leaving by leaving letters for everyone before he disappeared into the night with this woman. Our next lead pastor after him, he had a nervous breakdown and he resigned from the church from the platform on a Sunday morning without telling anyone he was doing it. His family didn't know. I remember his wife jumping up and running her kids out of the sanctuary when she realized what he was doing. I have another lead pastor who was discovered to have been stealing money from the church to pay for prostitutes. And I know you're like, dude, what churches are you going to? And I don't know, it's just the luck of the draw for me. But the thing is this, I'd seen all of these things happen in churches long before I went into ministry. And so you might think that I would be prepared for imperfect leaders and imperfect churches. And I wasn't. In 2006, Terry and I, along with our three kids, who at the time were four, two, and one, almost all of them still in diapers. Uh, but in 2006, we moved out of the state to go into ministry for the very first time. I was you know, 29 years old, it was, we were young, and it was great for a bit. But red flags started to pop up pretty quickly. I was the worship pastor, and in the beginning, Terry sang on the worship team with the band, but she had this streak of her hair that was dyed hot pink, and our pastor didn't like it. And he told me I had to remove my wife from the worship team. Then we had a girl who played keys for us, uh, and she was a little heavier. And she also had this visible skin condition on her arms and on her neck that he didn't like. And he told me she couldn't be on stage because she didn't look good enough and it was distracting. Now these things seem surfacey, right? But these demands grew out of his perception of what the church was supposed to be. That the church should have attractional environments. The church should do everything with excellence and the church should be careful about who's allowed into the inner circle. And that kind of church, what he thought the church was supposed to be, it doesn't allow people on stage that don't fit the template of what we think the church should be, which is young, pretty, safe, middle class. He told me one time that some people are, are scaffolding, that they're just there to help you build the permanent structure of the church before you take them down and get rid of them. And the thing is, he believed all of this stuff was right. He believed it was right for the church and right for the people who we were going to reach as a result of implementing these things. At one point, I was doing worship ministry. I was a worship pastor. I was doing youth ministry. I was doing all of the website and the graphic design for the church. And it was a lot. It was overwhelming. And so one day, I, I went to him and I just said, hey, I'm doing so much right now that I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job at anything. And... I'd like to step back from doing design stuff so that I can make sure that worship and youth are really being, being done well because I just don't think they are. After I said this, he was quiet for a few seconds and his face started to get really red. And he looked at me and he said, you don't tell me when you have too much to do. I tell you. And I said, okay. 
And while that interaction was really shocking for me, there were actually dozens of little things like this that happened over our time there. One Tuesday morning, he called me into his office and he said, this conversation is going to be harder than you think it is because I'm terminating your employment with our church. I've been there for six years and I was blindsided. I mean, I never saw this coming in a million years. So I asked him why. And he said, I can't tell you specifically why. You've just done a lot of things over the years that have really bothered me. I can't list them off, but you know, there it is. And then he went on to tell me how uh, I didn't respect him, how I didn't respect his vision for the church. It was a long, difficult conversation. And, and honestly, I'm only sharing the quotes that I specifically remember, but I vividly remember him looking at me and saying this. He said, you're trying to take my church away from me. So he got fired. Uh, he told me that we would get three months severance pay as long as I didn't talk to anyone in the church after that and if I didn't get another job in town. If I talked to anybody in the church or if I got another job, even at Walmart, then my severance would be canceled. And, and he wanted us gone so much that he offered a, an additional $1,000 bonus if we moved, moved out of town within 30 days. And that Sunday, while Terry and I were back at home in Illinois, reeling, trying to figure out what to do next, he told the church that we'd resigned because God was moving us on to other ministry opportunities. He told the church that we didn't want anyone to reach out to us because we were out of town and we didn't want to talk about it. And he told everyone that he was excited about what God had in future for us. And that was it. In one moment, we lost our church community, our home, our kids' school, our friends, even the city we lived in. And it was devastating. Particularly since there were people who, hearing this, assumed that our pastor was right and assumed that we were wrong. There were people who assumed that I'd been fired for some sort of a moral failure because that's often how situations like that are dealt with in the church. And we were just wrecked. And we were wrestling with some big questions. Questions like this. Do I still want to be part of a church? Am I willing to risk being hurt like this again? Am I willing to trust another pastor or another group of pastors with my family? Is it worth the risk of being hurt like this again? And I know there are people who've been hurt by the church, some in our community right now, who are asking themselves these same questions. And just like I know that I'll never go skiing again because I don't want to get hurt, some people have decided that staying in the church is just not worth the risk and they're never going to go back. But why does this happen? How can the church of Jesus hurt people like this? Well, Jesus told us how in Mark chapter 7, verse 23. Jesus said this, he says, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. All of the bad behaviors that cause church hurt, all of these vile things, they come from within. They start in the heart. They start with a belief or perception of things that grows into an action or behavior. 
For example, when I was 21, I believed I was physically invulnerable and I could do anything, which is exactly how I ended up blasting down a ski hill and breaking my arm when I was 31. And then at 31, I believed I could still do a lot physically, but just not everything. So, I mean, I'm in my 30s. I still did dangerous and stupid things, just not all of the dangerous and stupid things. But now I'm 46 and my body has been beaten up and broken so many times, I honestly kind of wonder if I can do anything anymore or if I should just wrap myself up in a big ball of bubble wrap, which honestly, this belief is a great excuse for my kids to take out the garbage and carry groceries so dad doesn't hurt his frail body. But here's the connection. A church culture that believes we should present a young, pretty, attractional Instagram image to the world will engage in behaviors that exclude people who don't fit the template. A church culture that believes excellence in everything is the key to reaching people will eventually platform the most talented communicators, the most talented musicians, and the most talented leaders, regardless of the quality of their character. A church culture that believes giving people what they want in order to increase attendance will prioritize content over relationships. And that church will focus on giving people content they like to consume rather than providing the love that can connect them both to God and others. And a church culture that believes the security of the organization must be defended at all costs will allow people to be hurt and even cover it up as long as it protects the good things that are happening in other areas of the church. A belief that the organization needs to be protected can lead to behaviors that abuse, damage, and exclude people. Now, all of this, it may be a very religious, kind of evangelical way of belief and behavior, but it's not the way of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 through 14. Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Here's the thing, and this is important. Jesus loves and sees the value in every individual. And when even one out of a hundred is hurt and lost, Jesus is okay to put everything else aside, to put everything else on hold to care for the one. Now, the world tells us that, you know, to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. You just expect it. And that view has seeped into our church culture as well. But Jesus doesn't break eggs. And the idea that to grow and protect a big, thriving church may mean glossing over some people who've been hurt by those very same structures, that idea would be absurd to Jesus. He would reject it outright because he has the heart of a good shepherd. And, and while many modern shepherds might leave the one behind if it meant protecting their ability to keep growing the flock, Jesus would never do that. He always goes after the one who is lost 
and hurting. The reality is that just like sheep will wander off, church hurt will happen. People are flawed and broken at every level of the church, all the way from the first-time guest to the long-time lead pastor. And when broken people come together, someone being hurt is almost a certainty. So what do we do when the church hurts people? How do we respond when we're the ones who are hurt? And what do we do to prevent it from happening in the first place? Well, like I said, this isn't as much an exhaustive sermon on the doctrine of spiritual abuse as it is my own personal reflections on all of this. But I do have two thoughts on finding healing and preventing abuse in the first place. First, if you've been hurt by the church, find a safe community. One of the best ways to recover from unsafe and hurtful community experiences is to find a safe community to heal in. A safe community that listens, where you can share your experiences, where you can barf up all of your worst feelings and thoughts and doubts without the fear of being judged or corrected or rejected. If you've been hurt by the church, I just want you to understand that you're a lost sheep and you're not a lost sheep because you sinned, but because you were sinned against in a way that drove you out of the flock. And then I want you to remember that Jesus always goes after lost sheep. He would never abandon you in order to protect a corporate, nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3 organization. You are his child. So find a safe community of people who see you the same way that Jesus does, because they exist. And second, prevent hurt church, or prevent church hurt by assuming that you are part of the problem. The fact is, you might be the cause of church hurt without even knowing it. You may be contributing to it by looking the other way or by not listening to the voices of those who are crying out for help. Or you may be a cure to church hurt, reaching out to the marginalized and the, and the abused. But here's the thing, whether you are the cause or the cure, the only way to be one is to assume that you are the other. Okay, so the only way to be part of the solution is to assume that you are part of the problem. Because if you don't, you will never confront unseen attitudes and actions that may be contributing to the problem. The truth is that as much as I was hurt by the church, I still believed in and perpetuated the same ideas and methods that led to my firing. And I know there are people watching this right now who may have been hurt by me and what I believed the church was supposed to be like. And if my church or if I have hurt you, I'm sorry. And if I can prevent my life or compass from hurting anyone else, I'll continue to look in the mirror every day in humility to do it, knowing that I'm capable of the very things that hurt people apart from God's grace. Jesus always goes after the one to make sure no one who's been hurt or lost is left behind. So may we at Compass 
be a safe community, living like Jesus, relentlessly pursuing those who've been hurt and left behind, regardless of what it costs our organization. May we be a place of healing and humility, allowing Jesus to teach us to love while at the same time acknowledging that we don't always love our neighbor as ourselves. And may the Lord bring healing and restoration to everyone who's hurting. And may he guide his church to be a community known by our love for others. May we live like Jesus lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. And may God bring healing and direction to our church and to any other church community that is dealing with the pain of church hurt. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.